1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been 40 years now, and Fangoria is better than ever, each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head to Fangoria.com to learn more and to, well, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15% off your subscription. That's Fangoria.com, promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15%. Garrison, welcome to Postmortem AMA, where you can ask me anything. And I'm here with producer Joe, who is going to ask the questions on your behalf. So, Joe, what's up first? Well, first we have Sasha Moore 70, who wants to know how you break down a scene before shooting it. How does Mick Garris break down a scene? <laughs> I usually break down a week, uh, usually on the uh, weekend before shooting. Well, first of all, if you get any chance to rehearse with your actors before production begins, that's a luxury that you rarely have, mm -hmm. especially on a television schedule. But even in a feature film schedule, the scenes are not shot together where part of your cast is available and part of it is not. Mm -hmm. uh, so Sometimes you don't even have locations locked down. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, once we're in production or about to enter the weekend before, I will shot list what's going on for the week to come. And uh, I'll basically figure out all of the coverage I want, what kind of equipment I need, you know, what the emotional content is. And I will do a shot list that is more than just a shot list. I will also do an emotional code. Mm -hmm. So, uh, What does that mean? Well, I will put what the mood is intended to be. Um, I will put a context so that everyone in the crew at least the uh, key members of the crew, will know what came before and what comes after. Mm. Um, it's for the actors and for myself to be able to know uh, that the process that led us to this and what this is leading us into, because you don't shoot the scenes in order. Um, I will specifically do a shot list of everything I would like to do technically. Right. And right. then... Time permitting. Time permitting, yes. <laughs> but... I rarely will actually refer to it during production. So I'm basically shooting it in my head the weekend before we start shooting. And then I'll have five days of shot lists. And like I said, each of those scenes will have a breakdown of what the emotional content is, uh, you know, or what uh, the key words uh, to go by. Will it be dread? Will it be emotion? Will it mm. be sadness and, and loss? What it will be so that not only the actors know what we're going for here, but the technicians, the cameraman, well, he and I will have normally had a conversation right. over the, during that process, um, but also the production designer, the wardrobe people, the makeup people, so that we can all be on the same page, literally, yeah. about what's going on here. You know, what colors I want to use to convey what emotions, that sort of thing. So break everything down 
so that on Monday morning when I'm in there at 5 a.m., I don't need to shoot it. Uh, I don't need to shoot it from the shot list. I've shot it in my head. Mm-hmm. And people who are slavish with their shot lists also often find themselves at sea when things change. Right. When an actor is two hours late and you have to uh, compress because the number of mm-hmm. scenes you've got, you, you're you not going to be able to make your day if you don't. A door is on the other side of the room that you right. were planning on. Right. Oh, shit, I was looking in a mirror. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to be able to roll with it. And uh, so there's enough prep that I don't need to prep the day I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's smart. I mean, what it's every day in pre-production saves you an hour on set or something like that. That's the so adage. they say. So they say. Even an even more appropriate adage is: you start the day walking and end the day sprinting. Or Dukes of Hazard in the morning. <laughs> or no, no, I'm sorry, Citizen Kane in the morning, Dukes of Hazard in the evening. <laughs> Whatever uh, that is. Yeah. <laughs> do you, do you um do you ever do overhead schematics, or is that more something you would leave to a DP? Uh, normally, um. We'll have it done mm-hmm. just so that I can access it. But uh, rather than doing an overview from overhead, yeah. that makes sense for a lighting pattern mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. But I'll usually have it just as I can access it. But if I've scouted the location, I know what I'm going to do with it pretty much while I'm there. Yeah. No, I remember when, when I worked with Andrew, we actually had a big grid of the entire house we were shooting at. And he, he loved that. Uh, yeah. He basically took my shot list and turned it into a 2D overhead. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's something you can do where you want to place the lights yeah. and all of that stuff. It's super helpful, that's I think, good. in terms of scheduling Yeah, and stuff. for technical purposes, it's it's very helpful. Yeah. But, you're, but You approach it more from an, an emotional stance. Yeah. Do yeah. you When you're going through your shot list, do you tend to say, I want to cover the entire scene from this shot? Or do you think about it in moments, like editorial moments? Well... Both, yeah. you know, uh, I I normally, I like to shoot a scene from beginning to end in most of the setups, unless it's something I know I'm not going to use. But it's often good for the actors to be able to go through from beginning to end so that they can ramp up and down to their emotional context. So yeah. I, I do like to give them the opportunity to go from the beginning to the end in yeah. every in every angle. Yeah. Uh, well, great. Well, let's talk about uh, an, another question, this time from a friend of the podcast, uh, David Scow. Mr. David J. Scow. Yeah. He writes, remember how excited you were to score your first actual paying job in the film industry? <laughs> the question is, at what point did you start passing up jobs that the earlier version of you would have eagerly taken? And what were some of those gigs? Well... I didn't pass on a whole lot of them, uh, but it was it was pretty early where I was passing on some things. Uh, I was nervous. I, I wasn't offered this, but the original Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was really? a script that was sent to me. Um, that after wasn't, I had, Stuart, no, Stuart Gordon wrote Stuart Gordon that. was attached to it yeah. as director. Oh, wow. And then uh, I believe he had a heart attack. Oh, is that what uh, happened? And, and, or he had health issues yeah. that did not permit him to do that. So I was one of several people that they sent the script to. Had you been friendly with Stuart at that time? Or? I didn't know Stuart okay. yet. Not, not I didn't like know you do him now. Yet. Yeah. No, no. Got it. Um, and so I read it, and I thought, this is a lot of fun. I don't know if I'm ready to do yeah. something like yeah. this. The visual effects were at a very high end. It made perfect sense for Joe Johnson to do. Yeah, Joe Johnson was <laughs> great for it. And, and my 
technical level uh, of knowledge was quite low in regards to something that was heavily special effects oriented. Yeah. So it was special effects, kids, animals, everything that's really difficult. <laughs> you know, a big budget Everything Disney just movie. just done probably on Critters. No, uh, instead, <laughs> no, this was before oh, Critters this was before too. Critters. So oh, wow. what do I do but take a movie with lots of effects, kids, <laughs> animals, prosthetics, and a, and a, a $4 million budget. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's funny. So, but an, another thing that I, so I passed on it mainly because I didn't think I was ready yeah, for that. Which, by the way, is a hugely mature uh, decision to have made you but know, probably foolish because you surround yourself shit. by really good people right true and true. and you have the financial wherewithal to right. be able to pull it off right but for it to be my first time out yeah. it just scared the shit out of me yeah i, I could see that being <clears throat> a very intimidating project to yeah take on. but the other thing uh was a writing job yeah and uh i met with paramount with richard christian matheson we had written a spec script called Red Sleep mm. that went for a huge amount of money to Warner Brothers. It sold to Joel Silver. To Joel Silver and Warners. Wow. And they paid three quarters of a million dollars for this script. Oh, my gosh. However, it went through, they spent millions on development with a bunch of other writers and all of this and several directors. John Landis was attached oh, for wow. a while. Uh, and it eventually just fell apart and uh, and never got made. So, so the, you don't get all the money yeah, unless it well, gets no, made. That's probably, there's probably so much money against it now that yeah. it never can be made. Exactly. I, I think that's some people will go like, oh, whatever happened to that movie? It's, it's yeah. because the studio spent so much money developing it yeah. that it becomes financially impossible to make the movie. They won't let it go. But it was yeah. so many years ago now, and movies cost so much more now right. than they right. did at that time that True. it might not be as big a deal. However... Richard Matheson, Richard Christian Matheson, and I became a kind of hot ticket as a writing duo. Oh, interesting! I didn't, so that that went on for a little bit of time then. A little bit of I time. I thought it was a one-off. I didn't realize. It was. No, we were actually uh, in meetings at a lot of different studios. Oh, wow! And one of them was at Paramount, where we were asked to write a sequel to Rosemary's Baby. Wow! And this was in the nineties. So, you know, Rosemary's <laughs> Baby. So, so right 19, after it came out. Yeah, yeah. 1968. <laughs> so 25, 30 years later. Um, and I just could not, neither of us could really figure out yeah. how do you do a sequel to something that great? Would you have done that, it about the kid? You know, we never got that far. We yeah. went through several conversations. We had two or three meetings with the studio before. I, I think... I was less interested in doing it. Richard saw it as more of a challenge, mm -hmm, and I, mm -hmm. I was more defeatist about it. <laughs> I felt like, you know, I don't think I can compete with uh, what Roman Polanski did. For you sure, know, that sure. Rosemary's Baby is one of the greatest movies. It's like making a sequel to Citizen Kane. Why do that? There was never an intended sequel. Yeah. There was no open door to that, even though it ends with an open ending yeah it's still a perfect movie of its kind did this happen after psycho 4 this was yeah it was after psycho 4. so they so they saw that you could take material like that and update yeah it and... but I, they weren't talking to me about directing oh okay it was this purely was purely oh, a writing job okay. maybe it would have turned into that right had something come right. of it right but no this was strictly do you a remember i mean the studio sometimes when they have these ips 
they at least have an, an initial idea in their head, or were they just completely well? Pie they in the sky? they did talk about it yeah. being the son of Rosemary, right? And, and right. And that was something that didn't particularly excite me. But the executive was Cassian Elways, who was wow. a really oh, yeah. smart guy. And yeah. I really liked meeting with him and working with him and the He's like. Big, big, big time independent producer. Yeah, nowadays. Yeah. 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 At that time, he was an executive at the studio. Wow. And his brother was the bigger name. That's yeah. right. That's right. Cary Elways, the And how, how, it, how it yeah. has shifted. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, are there any gigs that. You just as a follow-up question: Are there any gigs that you didn't take that went on to be obviously Honey I Shrunk the Kids we talked about? But are there any other gigs that you had to pass on that you were like, "Oh man, I wish." You know, I I don't spend much time looking thinking back. about that. Yeah, yeah I, I mean things either happen or they don't. Right. Honey I Shrunk the Kids might have changed the course of my career. I might have worked in bigger budget studio movies i might have had a you know big studio yeah directing yeah, career yeah. but you know there's there's no time or room for regrets as far as career goes i i have, well maybe not regrettably passed on but but maybe something that you were offered and then it went and got made and you were like oh that's really interesting I'm like i'm glad it got made that way and i'm glad i didn't do it or anything anything like that or well any- there's one movie that I'm glad it got made the way it did, yeah. but I met on it wasn't offered to me, but I met on it, and that was a simple plan. the The movie from the Scott Smith book that that oh. Sam Raimi directed, yeah, and uh, it was great. That was a movie that also Ben Stiller almost directed. Wow! And uh, uh, I loved that book, and I think it was Stephen King suggested me to yeah. meet with the people at Universal about it. And I would love to have made that, but Sam Raimi did it perfectly. Yeah. I don't think you could make that movie better than Sam did. No, I, I think that is that is very, very accurate. <laughs> um, well, on that note, I think... Uh, I think it's let's call it for another AMA. All right. Uh, thank you for tuning in to another uh, postmortem AMA. And you can uh, send your questions via Twitter to Joe Russo tweets or Mick Garris PM. And you can also do Mick Garris PM at Instagram and ask us the questions you would like me to answer. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to Producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's at Mick Garris PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, MickGarrisInterviews.com. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.